Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Talking in the Rain. I am your host, Saira Unju, and I had the pleasure of talking with dancer and choreographer Vanessa Goodman. We started off talking about graveyards and gardens, which Vanessa described as a blurred transition of traditional performance and installation performance. It is made in collaboration with Caroline Shaw, and you can catch both of them live right now until the 15th at 7.30 p.m., at the Faye and Milton Wong Experimental Theater at the SFU Gold Corp Center for the Arts. It's being presented by Music on Main and SFU Woodward's cultural programs. Vanessa and I also got to talking about what she calls generative systems, uh, her look on dance and choreo, and how, how she views the body plays a part on her work, her company, Action at a Distance, we talked about spooky action at a distance, which is, yes, an Albert Einstein theory. And yes, her company and spooky action at a distance are related. <laughs> we talked about sounds, how she works with sounds, how they inspire her work, and and so much more. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being here, Vanessa. Really excited to talk to you. I'm going to start talking a little bit about graveyards and gardens and then get into you as um, an artist uh, more in depth. So I wanted to start off um, with this show's description, which is an atmospheric sound and dance installation that is an intrinsic meditation on the cyclical natural of embodied memory. Can you expand on this and tell us what um, this show entails? Yeah, thanks. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me um, on today. I'm looking forward to chatting about the show Graveyards and Gardens. Um, so yeah, when Caroline Shaw and I first began doing research for the production, uh, we zeroed in on things that we found in common in terms of our artistic practices and how they related to one another. And one of the things that we were incredibly interested in was the transformation of repetition and how when something repeats in a cycle, it begins to transform. And this led us to this idea of uh, decomposition and regeneration. So really, um, this is kind of the seed of, of the bloom of the work in a sense. And uh, for us, we really wanted to create an environment where people could connect to their own um, kind of sensory experience and also take part in the uh, atmosphere and the kind of um, nuance of the work. So we knew the work wanted to be in the round and we knew the work needed um, a different devices that were both analog and also a little bit more technologically savvy um, so that we could utilize this idea of looping, uh, decomposing and regenerating. And when it really came down to it, we began to kind of start to look at the materials that it took to compose the work. So, you know, like the little magnets inside the microphones or the speakers, um, the ribbons of a tape deck and how this kind of materiality might transform, decompose uh, and become something new over time when it's repetitively used. So really that's kind of the essence of the work. And uh, because the work is somewhere between a hybrid of a dance, a concert, an installation, um, 
theatrical performance environment, uh, it lived in this kind of blurred uh, transition of, of traditional performance and more installation performance. Hmm. Sounds very interesting. And um, you mentioned that you worked on this with Caroline Shaw. And I also read that it was first performed during the um, the pandemic as a live stream. And so how did you two work on this together during that time, considering all of the challenges that come with the pandemic? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes with limitation, there's some positive things that come out of it. And we were both extremely proud of the version that came out during the pandemic as the live stream. But the main thing that the performance lacked was Caroline live because she couldn't cross the border. So uh, we were quite fortunate to have quite a bit of time together leading up to before the lockdown. Like we had worked at SFU Woodward's in a small research period. We had worked at the BAMP Center for the Arts for a small research period, or I guess that was a bit of a longer one, and at Lenya in Galliano Island. And so we had at least like about four and a half, five weeks of together research that really was the foundation for the work. So when we had to move online, um, there was a, already a very clear shared language and trajectory for the work that we knew we wanted to take. So that in itself provided a lot of support and structural strength in terms of how we were thinking about devising the work. Um, but really, we would send things back and forth, whether it was audio or video, and, and we would meet once a week online to discuss what was going to be the next section. And then we'd both go away, work, and then share with each other what we had worked on. Sometimes we would have uh, rehearsals with uh, Caroline on FaceTime and me working actually in my living room. I, I choreographed <laughs> the majority of the work in my living room because I didn't have access to space at that time. And then uh, I, we slid into our theater residency at the dance center, the Scotiabank Dance Center, just before the Christmas break um, with our lighting designer um, and our sound designers, James Proudfoot and um, Eric Chad and Kate DeLorme. And that's where we really got to try the theatrical ideas together just before we went on the Christmas break. And then when we came back, we loaded into the theater at the Orpheum Annex with music on main. And we were able to really shape the work there for a week and a half before premiering it. So that's kind of how we did it. And Caroline was constantly zooming in, FaceTiming. Uh, I would send her samples from rehearsal and and we'd then talk about it. So it was it was actually, um, even though it was challenging, it was quite organic and um, and you know, in some ways it was disappointing. MPAC, um, which is in Troy, New York, had given us a beautiful residency that we weren't able to participate in. Um, but they were also a commissioning partner of the work in the end, which we're very grateful for. Music on Main and, and MPAC commissioned, co-commissioned the work. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And I am I feel like it's really valuable when you have someone that you can work so well with and it uh, it becomes organic. Um and so you met Caroline a while back right um is this your first project together or have you worked together before so uh david pay at music on main gave uh me the gift and also with julianne sororan who uh runs small stage in vancouver they paired us together on an artist blind date back in i think like 2015 and we had a one rehearsal for about two hours um 
to put something together. And then we did a little short five minute improvised score for the Modulus Festival. And it got filmed and put online <laughs> and got viewed a lot of times, which we were both surprised at. And, um, and going back and looking at that, we both really liked what we made. And then David Pay put us together one more time because Caroline was an artist in residence at Music on Main that year. And I think in May, 2016, we did a short another little improv together. And it was after that one, I messaged Caroline and I said, hey, would you be curious if we made something and had more than two hours to put it together? And I'm so grateful she said yes, um, because we then went on the long trajectory of putting together this work together. And so now Caroline's able to accompany you on stage live, which is great. I do have a question about that. So mm -hmm. is the show... Um, are there any improv elements to it? Because I read that Caroline um, manipulates the, the score live on stage, but I'm not sure if that means that there are elements of uh, improv with it or, you know, everything is set yeah. and performing. So I like to, instead of calling what I do, and I, um, I like to call it generative systems instead of improvisation. Improvisation is definitely part of that. But I work with generative performance systems in the sense that um, the, uh, the structure is very clear for the work. And the movement motifs are all uh, very much set and clear in what it ha and what qualitative things I'm working with and what tasks I'm working with. And it is very much task-based, but um, the, the nuance of what happens each show will be different. Um, so you could come see the show four different times. It would still be the same experience. It would feel the same, but different things will happen inside of it, whether it's sonic or physical um, you will have a slightly different experience every time you um, take part in the work. But that being said, the structure is incredibly clear and, and very tight. <laughs> and so it is a journey that we've shaped. Um, but I think we're both working with uh, generative performance systems in the sense that Caroline is augmenting and, and creating things live as am I. Mm -hmm. I love that so much, though. It's a really special when a show gives you the opportunity to experience it multiple times and get a, I guess, not necessarily a different experience, but, a, you know, as you said, a unique look into it. Mm -hmm. Sounds amazing. And so you mentioned that you've been working on this for a while. Considering that um, you've also toured with it, so you've done it both live and also online. Um, does that change anything for you as a performer? Has the novelty worn off when it comes to graveyards and gardens or this element of um, having a little bit of something different every performance still um, keeps it going? I think that's why I love working with generative systems so much is because it keeps things fresh every time we do it. And that was one of the goals for both Caroline and I, that we could come back to this work five, 10 years down the road, and it would still offer us something to play with inside of that was current in our existing practice, even as we continue to evolve and move along our trajectories. So I think it's really important for myself, at least as an artist, to have um space to bring in with what I'm currently working on always 
Um, and, and not to say that it isn't iterative, like, you know, I, I do think that, you know, I have a very specific practice and it iterates as I move through it. Um, so I think there's a lot of play inside of that iteration, but yeah, there is a lot of, um, freshness or rawness to each time we perform it because we're playing with these systems as opposed to, you know, knowing that on count eight, I'm going to do this exact movement in this exact way. And Caroline's going to make this exact loop or this exact, um, movement in her viola, you know, it's, a uh, there is this plasticity to the work in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned that you have a very um, specific type of work. Uh, how would you describe your uh, style for choreography? Ooh, tough question. I love it, but good. Um, yeah, I think I, I think of the body as a living archive and that everything that we've experienced, every person that we've experienced, every person we've studied with, um, all of that information kind of uh, filters and dissipates and, and comes to the surface in my practice. Uh, I also think of the body in, 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 in terms of systems. So I, I work a lot with the circulatory system. I work a lot with uh, how our body uh, functions anatomically. And that plays a huge part into the visceral experience of my work. I'd say that my choreographic pra practice is very much kind of led by um, an understanding of the body that uh, leans slightly into the conceptual, but really comes back to first to a body experience um, existing. And I quite like to work with technology as well, whether it is audio technology with uh, looping devices or with um, lighting or projection. I'm constantly working with um, materiality uh, in terms of feeding it back into the work. And for me, I would also say that uh, a lot of influences for me come from everyday or outside experiences, what's going on in the world in terms of what I'm reading, um, whether it's literature or news, that definitely filters into my choreographic practice too. And then of course, you know, when it's on my own body, it's about my own living experience, but then when I'm collaborating with other dance artists, I definitely love to bring in their own physical experiences into it and have their voices in the room and their takes on, on um, the systems that we're working with. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have so many questions. <laughs> um, I'll start with because you mentioned last that when you're working with other dancers, you try to, you know, connect with their experiences as well. Do you have a, a preference between choreographing for yourself versus other dancers? Um, no, I love both, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, both are a real joy. I love working with people and I love collaborating. So a huge part of my practice is collaboration, whether it's with other dance artists who are living in the work and I'm on the outside of it, or whether it's with uh, a collaborator from another um, uh, discipline or medium. So for me, I think, you know, I, I love the, I love the dance both inside and outside of the work and I really can't choose either or. And I also love still performing for other people Because I feel like that, uh, when we talk about that living archive, that feeds me too in a really special way. Mm -hmm. And when you're working with other people, what is kind of the process like for you to 
um, connect with them and their experiences in their bodies to then apply that to your practice? So I often will share the concept that the work is rooted in, whether, you know, um, whether it's, you know, more environmental or more conceptual or more physical, I'll, I'll start by sharing what research I've done with the artists that I'm working with. And then I'll start by offering them a generative system or a task to tap into in their own body. And I let them explore that task and bring that uh, experience to the room. And then we usually talk about it. And I like to call it like the collective pot. After we try something, we all have a discussion and we throw ingredients in the collective pot of what we've experienced. And then we start delving in deeper and uncovering more things. And it, it ends up being kind of like a snowball. Like it starts to accumulate more and more information as we go. Mm-hmm. And going back to kind of I guess your practice as a choreographer in your style um when and how did you I guess find your voice when it comes to choreography how did you you know realize that this is what I love to do this is how I want to do it and for me this is dance oh my goodness so many great questions okay so um a couple of things I mean I maybe just will like tangentially go really far back and then I'll I'll take you fast forward forward so um, when I was about seven or eight I loved watching musicals and I still do but like Gene Kelly uh, the Nicholas Brothers Fred Astaire um, they were just you know Gregory Hines I was just in love like with tack and all of it like just really excited by all of it like could not get enough of it Uh, I begged my parents to put me in tap classes. They did. And right from the beginning, I began kind of like experimenting with organizing things in a specific way that would be my own. And I was really bad. Like I was terrible. Um, But my teacher, Allison Shand, uh, really supported me. And I think she thought I was a bit funny because I was a bit quirky and I was always like off and my timing was terrible. Like everything about it was off. And she'd always kind of put me in the back because I didn't know what I was doing, but she really loved me and encouraged me. And then I started taking uh, ballet and jazz later on. And same thing, I would start choreographing little dances and I'd stay after to show my teachers. And this was maybe when I was nine or 11. And then I went to an arts high school in Toronto. I was really fortunate to go to Etobicoke School of the Arts and I had incredible teachers, Gabby Camino, who's still a practicing artist and performing. Um, Lori Raymond, uh, Victoria Slagger, who recently just sadly passed away last week, uh, Susan McNaughton, and all of these people uh, encouraged us to experiment and make movement, and there were student showcases. So I kind of experimented then. Then fast forward, I went to university at Simon Fraser University, and I really didn't think I wanted to choreograph when I was at Simon Fraser. I was like, I want to be a dancer in somebody else's company. And it wasn't until 2010 when um, Judith Gary and Rob Kitsos asked me to choreograph a four-minute piece, like super, super short, for the opening of the Wordworks building. And they gave me a group of dancers, and I choreographed on them. And I made a piece that I realized, oh, I love this, and I want to do more of it, and I want to make work on other people. And then fast forward again. Julianne Sororin, I think in like 2015, said to me, you need to dance in your own work. 
I, I want you to make a solo on yourself. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And <laughs> she made me do it. And I choreographed Container, which is one of the works that I've toured the most. Um, it's been all around the world. It's been to Brazil. It's been to Germany. It's been all over Canada. It's been done in the States. Um, and uh, that was also another eye-opening experience for me that I really love dancing in my own work. That all sounds incredible, especially, I mean, having so many people support you in your artistic endeavors, um, no less. Um, do you think if you hadn't attended art schools basically throughout your life, um, you would have still pursued dancing? Mm, good question. I don't I don't know if I would have, uh, mm -hmm. actually. Um, you know, I thought at one point I might become a paramedic. Um, I also thought I might uh, become a forestry firefighter at one point. Uh, there's been other interests in my life and definitely like always a physical application though. Like I think paramedics jobs are quite physical and also require quite a bit of improvisation. And same thing with uh, being a firefighter in a forest, um, quite physical and also thinking on your feet, problem solving, improvisation. So maybe they're all connected in some weird way. Body care and environment care. Uh, it just ended up kind of being folded into an artistic practice instead of maybe more and uh, more uh, kind of, I guess I'm going to say, not that art isn't practical, but uh, those things are very practical in terms of how they contribute to society. Yeah, true. Well, that is very interesting. Well, well I'm glad you pursued dancing. <laughs> Thank you. We need artists. <laughs> I agree. And, yeah. On top of performing and choreographing, you also hold workshops with Action at a Distance, which is the um, dance collective uh, that you are the artistic director of. Um, can you tell us more about these workshops? Um, when did you start holding them and what made you start? Yeah, teaching's always been a part of my practice. Um, uh, and I've taught for a number of years, whether it's been uh, children's dance classes, like when I first graduated from university, or professional dance classes for uh, the training society here, or pre-professional classes uh, with modus operandi, or Lamont dance, or um, I was also brought in as a guest instructor at SFU last year uh, for their choreographic lab. I think it's, um, I really love sharing information. I would say that, you know, I don't teach a traditional technique class, but I share my practice when I teach these workshops. Um, and I recently taught in Toronto for the Levin Society. I've taught in Halifax. Um, it's just kind of something that goes hand in hand when you're in a community. Um, it's a way to meet people. It's a way to exchange. It's a way to continue learning from other people. So I think it's, uh, for me, it's like an important part or a pertinent piece of the fabric that weaves together my career, though it's maybe not like at the majority of the time that I spend in terms of my career, it, it is a part of that puzzle that, um, that I do. Mm -hmm. And talking more about action at a distance, uh, how do you balance both being the artistic director and also choreographing and performing? It all just seems like a lot. 
Great question. It is. Um, and I think anyone who runs a small company in the city um, has to deal with all of these same things. I'd say the biggest thing that is a struggle is like balancing all of the administration as well as doing the artistic um, creative. And I would say that, you know, like, unfortunately, I would say I'd spend maybe 15 to 20% of the time doing the creative and the administrative takes up the rest of the time. That being said, I don't view as administrative as not being collaborative and creative. I am very fortunate since 2021 when I had my child. Um, so I have a little baby who's almost a year and a half. Um, I brought on Hillary Maxwell as artistic producer for the company. And she has been a huge, um, huge asset and also huge help in terms of building out new infrastructure for us to help continue on so that you know, you don't suffer from burnout, though it's still something that we're struggling with and we're still trying to work towards to build um, more sustainable, healthy models. And, and in terms of um, administrative work, we're really trying to build an environment where it's not just about the nuts and bolts of the company, but where there is artistic expression going into the administrative collaboration between her and I, which I'm really excited about. I feel like um, one of the things that, you know, is missing and, and sometimes the administrative and the creative with small companies is they're too siloed. And it's really nice when the person who is working um, to support the company in that in that way has a really clear understanding of the artistic practice and can also help bring creative ideas forward um, to support uh, the capacity of the company. Mm -hmm. and is so i tried to find information on this could it <laughs> um is action at a distance um your company did you start it uh action at a distance is my company it was previously somebody else's company uh, under a different name and it was gifted to me by another arts organization in the city uh that was no longer using it and so i changed the name to action at a distance and I, I took over being artistic director and really and put in my board in 2015. Mm -hmm. And so may I ask why the name, the Action at a yeah. Distance? Uh, it's a, definitely inspired by Spooky Action at a Distance, which is one of Einstein's theories. And uh, my partner, actually, who is a wizard um, with uh, language and <laughs> helped uh, come up with the name. Uh, we were actually watching Only Lovers Left Alive, and they were talking about spooky action at a distance. And at that time, we were trying to find a name for the company. And Ben said, I think this is a really great name. And I said, I think you're right. Yes. No, I agree. It's I was introduced to um, spooky action at a distance. I don't really remember when. Um, time is a blurry now. Um, when I saw spooky action at the fire hall. Oh, cool. um, which was Leslie's yeah. piece yeah. yeah that's a funny story too because Leslie um L Leslie didn't realize that the company my company's name was Action at a Distance because I think this was like in 20 maybe 17 or 16 and uh she was working on her show too and she came up mm -hmm. to me she's like I heard your company's called Action at a Distance is it okay that I'm and I said yes I don't have claim to that it's Einstein's theory like yeah, of course. I can't yeah. wait to see the work. It's going to be beautiful. 
yeah and it's it's amazing that um I feel like artists can find inspiration everywhere including Einstein's theories <laughs> yeah totally and his theory is so incredible when I think when you think about it in relationship to dance and movement because it's all about um you know physics and objects relationship to each other so for me it just made a lot of sense mm -hmm. and I feel like this might be a very common question that you get but talking about inspirations um when you're working on something a project how do you come up with what you want it to be mm. I think I'm very much influenced by what I'm experiencing on a day-to-day -day level um, and I read a lot of news uh, so I think a lot of things come for me from that and then what I'll do is I'll do a, quite a bit of reading around a certain uh, subject and I'll go into the studio and I'll see how that filters and comes out in my body. Um, and then that being said, also sound is a huge part of my practice, like huge part of my practice. And I've been so lucky to work with incredible composers over the year. Like I work quite closely with Lossel, who's Scott Morgan, who's a local artist here. And um, it's for me, it's like the backbone of my work, whether there's no sound, whether it's the sound of the body or whether it's composed sound or improvised sound. For me, um, sound uh, is like just it evokes something in my system. And I think, too, that's because like the physiological effects of sound, like when you're listening to something or you hear a sound, you're hairs in your ears move right so it's already creating movement in your body on a very micro level so for me it's just like uh, it becomes intoxicating or viral and I've also worked with Brady Marks who's also another amazing artist in the city she's incredible since you are so um, inspired by sounds and it's very important for you how do you usually work when it comes to sound is it kind of a um, does the sound come first and you choreograph on it or does it kind of happen simultaneously? I think it's different in different ways uh, for me. Like sometimes it comes first. Sometimes I'll build a sketch of sound, even if I'm working with a composer and then I'll build material and then I'll share that with them and then they'll create sound and then I'll reshape it based on that. Sometimes I hear something first and then I integrate it. And then also because I work with looping devices and audio generation that's live in the space, sometimes I'll just bring in a microphone, a loop pedal, and I'll build the sound and then I'll start to create physically to it. So it happens in many different ways. I would say there's not one specific way for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And I actually think... Um we're at the end of our time <laughs> unfortunately um but before we go would you like to remind everyone um when and where they can see graveyards and gardens and how they can find you if they want to uh yeah thanks so much for having me sarah this was really a pleasure uh we'll be doing graveyards and gardens caroline shaw and myself with our team, Eric Chad and Kate DeLorme at uh, SFU Woodward's in the Fay and Milton Wong Theatre from April 12th to 15th, presented by SFU Woodward's and Music on Main. And uh, hope to see some of you there. Uh, feel free to come up and chat with us after the show. We always love meeting people. And uh, my company is called Action at a Distance, and we have a website, 
actionatadistance.ca. And if you want more information about graveyards and gardens, there's also a website for that, graveyardsandgardens.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to me. Thanks for having me. I hope you yeah, can make it. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah, That'd no pressure. Amazing. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.